Well, again, happy Easter and welcome to Grumlaw. Also, happy April Fools. Uh, I can tell by the looks on some of your faces right now that you are just putting it together for the very first time. That April Fools and Easter happen to be falling on the same exact day this year, which we think is, you know, pretty uh, exciting. Uh, and we're here to certainly help you connect the dots. But seriously, we are so glad that you decided uh, to show up here today. Uh, you are so welcome here, particularly if this is your first time. Um, that's what we've really tried to create here at Grumlaw is, is a place where anyone, regardless of where you're at on this whole faith journey, feels completely comfortable walking through our doors and kind of making this a part of your weekly rhythm. And uh, just so you know, we do this every single Sunday at 1030. This isn't just something that we do on Christmas and Easter. And again, uh, we hope that you'll feel comfortable uh, certainly coming back because we know that walking into a new place, it can certainly feel risky. It can certainly feel intimidating, but we're so glad that you take, decided to take that risk and show up and make Grumlaw a part of your week. Now, as mentioned, today is, of course, Easter, and we'll touch on plenty of that here in just a minute, but it is also April Fool's, and I really feel like for like the first 18 years of my life, I really missed out on April Fool's. Is there anybody sitting here today that really takes kind of April Fool's seriously? Like, you look forward to April Fool's? None of you? Okay, well, I found out when I went to college that there were certain people that really looked forward to April Fool's. Like, I'm seeing somebody point a finger at another human being. Thank you for one honest human being in this room. Some of you take advantage of this. Well, when I went to college, like, th that wasn't, like, really a thing that we did, like, growing up. Like, no, we didn't, like, plan elaborate pranks. We didn't really mess with each other's family members. But then I went to school, and I met one of my close friends that I'm still close with to this day uh, by the name of David. Um, and I heard about this story, this thing that David had pulled off, and I was like, I'm a joke. I mean, I've just really been missing out on life. What he did, uh, it was his sophomore year of college, and he's living in the dorm, and like three, door, uh, three rooms down from him, there's this kid that he really didn't even know particularly well, uh, and it's the night before April Fool's. In fact, it was actually after midnight, so it was technically April Fool's, and he sneaks into this kid's room after he's already fallen asleep, and he gets his deodorant and proceeds to, you know, twist the thing until the deodorant, the stick of deodorant itself just completely falls out. And then he replaces the deodorant with cream cheese. And he takes like the time to craft it so it's nice and rounded and everything. And then as planned, the next morning, this kid gets out of bed, jumps into the shower, gets out of the shower, and proceeds to smear cream cheese into his armpit. And then I heard that a bunch of expletives came out of his mouth, uh, much to David's delight, who is down the hallway listening to the whole thing, like going, yes, I, I pulled it off. And so uh, hopefully, to a certain extent, that story inspires you like it inspired me so many years ago. Now my whole family gets to live on edge on April 1st uh, because of my friend David. So go home and screw around with your friends and your family members. Uh, and then at the end, you just get to yell, April fools. And it's like this get out of jail free card. So hopefully some of you uh, we'll take advantage of that. Now, let's get to the more important subject today, which is, of course, Easter. And because it's Easter, we actually wanted to get all of you a gift, which is actually taped underneath your seat. So go ahead and reach down and grab that. Seriously, everybody reach down, grab, grab your gift. There's not jack squat underneath your seat. Okay. This is going to make for an incredible picture later on with all of you bent over. Okay, great. That's literally, that's the only reason I wanted to do that. Unbelievable. Okay. No more April Fool's stuff, I promise. I know that you're probably not inclined to really believe me or not. Okay, anyway, let's uh, put up this picture here. Um, this is my niece, Avery. Uh, she's eight years old, and she is like this little princess. We are doing our best to try to conv convert her into a little deer hunter, and she actually kind of enjoys it, but that's kind of beside the point. Uh, go back with me uh, two years ago. Uh, so it was Christmas of 2016. 
Uh, I was over at my brother and sister-in-law's house uh, right after church, and we usually do that as a family. We're this weird family that actually likes hanging out with each other, and so uh, all my siblings and their spouses and my parents, uh, we usually, uh, on Sunday afternoons, we all go over to one of our houses and hang out, and so it was over at my brother and sister-in-law's house, and Avery was there, obviously, and uh, I was playing on the ground with her with some of her toys. I don't really remember what we were playing, but I'm always amazed that when I sit and just talk to Avery at how articulate she is, and she's really witty, and she's just like a really, really smart eight-year-old girl. And it was about a month before Christmas, and so naturally the subject of Christmas came up, and you know, I asked her if she was excited, and she went on to tell me all the presents that she was hoping to get, and then she mentioned Santa. And, and in that moment, I kind of had forgotten that, that she believed in Santa. Their parents did the whole Santa Claus thing because I didn't grow up in a home where our parents did Santa Claus. And so it kind of like took me back. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. She does Santa. I certainly don't want to be the bum, you know, uncle that like spills the beans about this. And so we keep talking. But again, as she's talking, again, I'm just struck by, again, how intelligent she is. I really mean this. I'm sitting there. I'm like, how has she not figured this out yet? I mean, I feel like she should have gotten this by now. So again, I wasn't going to just come out and tell her what was going on. But I couldn't bite my tongue completely. And so I asked her a question. I said, Avery, how do you suppose that one guy makes it to every single house in one night? I mean, that's pretty wild, huh? And she looked back at me, and I could tell her wheels were turned. So I was like, oh, crud, I've gone too far, right? And so I quickly changed the subject, and like, I didn't really think anything of it until this past winter. And it's about two weeks before Christmas, same scenario, it's after church, we're going over to my brother's house after church. And upon walking through the door, my sister-in-law is there to greet me, like right there. She's like, hey Shay. I'm like, hello. She goes, guess what Avery just told me? I'm like, I couldn't tell you. Well, we were having a conversation about Christmas and we brought up Santa Claus. I asked if Santa, if she was excited for Santa and how do you think she responded to that? And I'm like, couldn't tell you. I'm playing dumb at this point because I like know exactly what she's getting at. She's like, are you excited for Santa Claus? She's asking Avery, and Avery looks at her with these very haughty eyes and goes, Mom, I know that Santa Claus isn't real. What? How, how do you know that? Mom, just think about it. How could one guy possibly make it to every single house in one night? It's just not possible. I know that you and daddy are the ones that are putting the gifts underneath the tree. And as much as she in that moment wanted to be impressed that that her daughter had suddenly figured this out, she was still a little skeptical. And so she leans in and says, who told you that? Uncle Shay, without hesitation. And just like that, the hopes and dreams of a young child were crushed by a stupid uncle. Unbelievable. Now, I certainly nudged my niece to that moment much sooner than maybe she probably would have arrived on her own. But the reality is, she would have, obviously, right? Eventually, she would have figured it out. We all eventually figure out that this stuff just can't be true. It's not plausible. It's not realistic. We have all essentially been fooled. And this is maybe going to sound like a little bit of a stretch this morning, but hear me out. For a lot of us, Jesus is just another one of those fairy tales. He's just another one of those make-believe characters that we eventually grow out of. And just like the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy, we get to a point where we can no longer reconcile our childlike beliefs with our adult experiences. We have been fooled. Now, for the Easter Bunny and and, and the Tooth Fairy and and, and Santa, I mean, chances are you probably figured that stuff out before your 10th birthday, and probably somebody didn't even need to tell you, right? Like, just eventually, intuition kicked in. But for Jesus, 
It was probably a little bit more gradual, and chances are you probably figured it out later on in life. You can no longer reconcile what you learned about Jesus in Sunday school with your adult experiences. Maybe it was a terrible tragedy. Maybe it was a personal loss. I mean, maybe it was a college professor who started to ever so slightly plant these seeds of doubt. Maybe it was a new friend that you grew really close to and they didn't grow up with the same belief system that you grew up with. And they started to ask you questions that you were just not prepared to answer. And suddenly saying things back to those people like, well, because the Bible says so, those were not adequate answers. Mom and dad or a pastor or a mentor were no longer by your side to start walking you through those doubts. Someone or someone started to cast doubts and you could no longer reconcile Sunday school Jesus with your adult experiences and your adult logic. Or maybe some of you, you grew up in an environment where Jesus was just kind of this mystical character and, and you really didn't go to church. And if you did go to church, it was on days like today. It was on days like Christmas and Easter. And perhaps you've been curious, but for you, that's about where things have stopped. You have heard of Jesus, but you don't know much about him. And the idea that you should maybe put your trust in, in your faith in this guy that you can't even see seems a little bit far-fetched. But regardless of where you're at on this whole faith journey this morning, I am so glad that you are here. Again, you are so welcome here. And, I, and I'm just going to beg you this morning to just lean in. Just give me your attention here for like the next 20 minutes. Because again, I recognize that some of you, you are excited about being here today. And others of you, you are not excited to be here. You, you would love it if I said, okay, you are dismissed right now in this moment. You couldn't wait to get to the door. A family member was like, you're going to church with me today. And you're like, dang it, it's Easter. And that's why you're here today. But that's okay. But guess what? You're probably not going to walk out right now. So why not give me your attention here for the next 20 minutes? Bring your doubts. Bring your skepticism. Bring your science. Bring those adult experiences. Bring that adult logic. Bring your curiosity and let's explore who the heck Jesus actually is and why we think, why I think he is so important to every single one of our lives. But before we go any farther, I'd love to pray for you and pray for me. And I'm not going to assume that everybody understands what, what that means. Prayer is simply a conversation that we get to have with God. I am 100% convinced that God is real, that God is actually listening. And this is an opportunity to share those honest thoughts and those honest feelings with him. So allow me to do that now. Father, I, I really do just say thank you um, for, for what we are celebrating today. Um, we thank you that you sent your son for us and that he conquered the grave. And I, I just ask, Father, that regardless of, of why we are here this morning, that everybody would just be at least open, open to whatever it is that you might have to say to us this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So again, regardless of where you're at on this whole faith journey, here is my challenge for every single one of us this morning, whether this is your first time in a church or whether you've been coming to church your entire life. Give Jesus a chance. And I know that's really profound, but just give Jesus a chance. I don't want any of you to miss out on what we're talking about this morning. Now, some of you have probably never heard this before, but Jesus came for you. Not you in like broad terms, but specifically you. He actually desires, your creator desires to have a relationship with you. God loved you before you were born. You, and again, not just you in broad terms, but you, specifically you, raced across the mind of God when he created the world. He knows you. He loves you so much so that he sent his one and his only son to die for you. Don't 
Miss Jesus. Give Jesus a chance. There's oftentimes this uncomfortable truth that we don't really like talking about it at churches. Frankly, we don't really like talking about it anywhere, but especially on days like today where people are here for the first time and they're just kind of checking things out, but it's a reality of our lives. We are all sinners that we try to convince ourselves that we're fine, but that is so far from the truth. Everything is not fine. That in fact, that's actually an, a lie that the enemy wants us to believe because if you convince yourself that you are fine, you won't see a need for a savior. You certainly won't see a need for Jesus. We're not fine. There is something missing. We need a solution. And God gave us, fortunately for us, the solution in the form of his perfect son, Jesus. And even though we're sinners, and even though we're the ones that, that, that botched up that relationship with God, I mean, that wasn't on him, that was squarely on us. Even though we messed up that relationship, Jesus did not come to condemn us. And some of you, you just need to hear that loud and clear this morning. Jesus did not t- come to condemn you. He came to rescue you. He came to redeem us. He came to to, to get us to a point where we can actually say that we are fine. See, ever since Adam and Eve botched up that relationship with God, and again, chances are, even if you haven't really gone to church very much, you're probably familiar with that story, right? Where Adam and Eve, the very first two people on earth, and God says, hey, don't go eat from that one tree. I mean, it's the only rule that he gives them. And of course, what do they do? They go and they eat from that one tree. And see, ever since they messed up that relationship with God, we as people, we have been waiting for a solution, How is God going to fix what we as people have screwed up? I mean, is he going to get involved? How is he going to get involved? And I believe that God has given us so many of those signs to help us answer that question. And this morning, that's what I want to do. I want to just show you some of those signs that I think that God has so clearly laid out for us. Because here's the truth, and I absolutely have an agenda this morning. I really, 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 really want you to believe this stuff. But I don't want you to believe this stuff for the sake of belief. I don't want you to believe this stuff because it simply just sounds like the right thing to do. I do not want to give you faith-based answers to your fact-based questions. I want to give you adult answers to your adult questions. I want all of you to have some of those same aha moments that I had in my life where I would discover this stuff for myself or a communicator would point it out to me and I would go, oh my goodness, How come somebody never showed me this stuff earlier? This is so important. And so what we're going to do this morning, again, we're going to dive into some of those signs. And where we're going to start, actually, is by looking at the overall structure of the Bible. I know that sounds really, really invigorating, but uh, I promise it's a little bit more interesting than it sounds. So there you have the, the Bible in its entirety, and if that feels a little bit overwhelming, that's fine. You're not like expected to memorize this. We're not going to have a quiz after or anything. But it just kind of gives you an idea of how the Bible's broken down. In the Old Testament, there's 39 books, uh, 39 separate books that kind of make up the greater Old Testament, and then the New Testament is made up of 27 different books that make up the New Testament. Now, the Bible in its most simplistic form If you were to look at it in its simplest form, uh, the Old Testament is everything before Jesus. So from the creation of the world right up to the time where Jesus steps foot on earth. The New Testament, it documents Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, and then a bunch of events that took place after he ascended into heaven, most notably the rise of the early Christian church. And uh, it's important to note that these two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament, were not combined to form what we refer to as the Bible until about 388 A.D., And and why that's so important, if you're doing the math right now in your head, that means that there was like this 350, 360-year gap 
from the time that Jesus ascended into heaven until we actually had uh, an actual Christian Bible. And during that time, the, the Christian church arguably made its greatest strides. And so it's for that reason that I'll say Christianity does not exist because of the Bible. The Bible exists because of Christianity. Now, again, I'm not going to assume that everybody knows this, but the Old Testament is the Jewish scriptures. It is the Hebrew Bible. If you were to leave right now, and I've said this before, but again, this was one of those moments for me that when somebody pointed this out, I was like, I did not know that. I wish somebody would have told me that sooner. If you left right now and you went to a Jewish synagogue and you picked up their Hebrew Bible, you would find verbatim the exact same thing that we have in our Old Testament. And naturally, you might be wondering, well, what the heck? Why do we have that as a part of our Christian Bible? Because after Jesus died, and then after he rose from the dead, people paid a whole lot more attention to what the heck he had been saying when he was on earth. Because as it turns out, if you predict your own death and you predict your own resurrection, people are going to get a little bit curious as to what you had to say if it actually comes true. And so that's exactly what happened with the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And so they were eager to get their hands on the Jewish scriptures because they remembered that throughout his time on earth, throughout Jesus' time on earth, he kept referencing the Jewish scriptures. He kept referencing the Hebrew Bible. And once they got their hands on it, they kept having these moments where they were like, wait, is this a joke? And then they'd read a little bit more and they'd go, how in the heck did we possibly miss this? This sure feels like it's just talking about Jesus. In fact, we don't understand how somebody could possibly read this and not think that it is explicitly talking about Jesus. In fact, I have a homework assignment for everyone. And again, I know that sounds invigorating because you probably came to church wanting homework, but I promise this is interesting. I want all y'all to go home because we don't have time to do this today and read Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah is a book that we find in the Old Testament. I'm not seeing like enough hands moving. Take out your phone. Seriously, do this. Go home and read Isaiah chapter 53. If you don't have a Bible, you can download one for free. It's called the U version. They even have it on Android. Can't believe people are still using Android devices, but they have that. Uh, you can go home, download it, and read Isaiah chapter 53. And as you are reading that, ask yourself the question, who does this sound like it's talking about? And keep in mind, again, the book of Isaiah is in the Old Testament. It was written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus ever stepped foot on earth. The Old Testament was combined with the New Testament to form what we refer to as the Bible because people were looking at this stuff going, we can't even comprehend how you could possibly read this and not think that it is explicitly talking about Jesus. The Old Testament is a collection of signs that point to Jesus. The Hebrew Bible is a part of our Christian Bible because Gentiles were picking this thing up, non-Jews were picking this up and going, this is definitely talking about Jesus. And this only further strengthens the fact that Jesus is exactly who he says that he was. Now, the New Testament is something entirely different. The New Testament documents something that happened. The writers of the New Testament, and in particular, the writers of the gospel books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell a very similar story from four different people's perspectives. We often refer to them as the gospels or the good news because they, those terms are actually synonymous. They mean the same thing, but because those four books document Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. Now, those four books in particular, those writers of those four books, um, they documented this time while Jesus was on earth. They didn't write as if it was story. 
The way that they wrote follows no pattern of fiction. They wrote as if it was history. And I'm going to give you one example of this this morning. We find this all throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in fact, if you've ever spent any time reading your Bible, you've probably come to these passages and you've thought, why in the heck did they include this stuff? I mean, it is so boring. I mean, you just skip right over it. I guarantee you. Give me, uh, this is one example of that. It says, it was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea. Herod Antipas was ruler over Galilee. His brother Philip was ruler over Iteria and Trachonitis. Lysanias was ruler over Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. Wait, so Luke, when was this written again? They wrote as history, not story. It was the gospel writer's way of saying, fact check me on this, I dare you. This stuff happened. You would never write in that way, ever, if it didn't actually happen because it would have been so easy to catch you in your lie. And that's why I'll say it again. Christianity does not exist because of the Bible. It is the other way around. The Bible exists because of Christianity. In fact, and this is staggering when we think about this, Christianity made its greatest strides during those 300 years before the Bible ever existed. And and this is really mind-boggling when you think about it. And I even made it into a slide because I thought it was so impressive. Before the Old Testament and the New Testament were combined and titled the Bible, Christianity had already replaced the pantheon of Roman barbarian and most Egyptian gods, and it was the state religion of the Roman Empire. The most powerful kingdom on the planet had adopted Christianity as its state religion, and yet there wasn't a Bible. Christianity doesn't exist because of the Bible. It's the other way around. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people became Jesus follower long before the Bible ever existed. And here's why. Because there were eyewitnesses running around like maniacs telling everyone, okay, I know that this is going to sound ridiculous, but I watched this guy die. I watched it with my own eyes eyes. He was dead as dead could be. In fact, he wasn't dead for like five minutes. He was dead for three days. And three days later, he's up and about and like having conversations with people. And so that's why that oftentimes in our society, in particular now, where it's become even more and more hostile towards Christians and people are so ready to, you know, point their finger at Christians. And oftentimes they'll bring things up from the Old Testament as ways to poke holes in Christianity. They'll they'll tell us things, right? Like there's no evidence of a worldwide flood. And and in the creation story, why doesn't it reference dinosaurs? And there's there's no way that, 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 that God could have possibly created the world in only seven days. And guess what? If you would have told those things to Peter and to James and to John and to Matthew and to Mark and to Luke and to all these people that were eyewitnesses to what happened to Jesus, they would have went, what? Dinosaurs? A worldwide flood? What are you talking about? We don't care about that. Let's focus on what we know. We saw a guy die. He was as dead as dead could be, but three days later, he rose from the grave. And when somebody predicts their own death and they predict their own resurrection, and it actually happens, you just go with whatever they say. When Jesus died, when he was crucified on that cross for me and for you, and this is so important to note, nobody believed. No one. 
You know, his disciples, his 12 best friends that witnessed all the miracles. I, I mean, the guys that saw literally Jesus walk on water. They watched him calm storms. They, they, they watched him look at people uh, who, who had been deaf their entire lives and suddenly they could hear, people that had been blind their entire lives and suddenly they could see. I mean, they watched him turn just a couple loaves of bread and a couple fish and enough food to feed thousands. I mean, they saw incredible things, but when he died, they all ran away like cowards. Not one of them believed. His own family members headed for the hills. His own mother abandoned him. Not one person believed. They all lost faith. But then something happened. We were given a resurrected Savior. People saw a risen Jesus. They saw the sign and then they documented it in this book that we call the Bible so that we could be given that same sign as well. Now bring it in and really think about this for a second and take faith out of it. Just, just rely on human logic. How could the church have had this level of enormous success unless Jesus rose from the dead? And I don't think it's possible. There's no reasonable explanation for the success of the Christian church unless Jesus rose from the dead. It must have happened. The success of the church is in and of itself a sign that points to the validity of Jesus. He must have risen from the dead. And I can't speak for you, but if a guy predicts his own death and he predicts his own resurrection and it actually happens, I am going to pay a whole lot more attention to the things that that guy had to say. I'm gonna pay a whole lot more attention to the words in the Bible. And so I would challenge you this morning. What if this is true? What if Jesus really did rise from the dead? Because you have to see, nobody debates at this point whether Jesus existed. Even the most devout atheists. I mean, that's one of the great things about science. It is proven beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus was definitely a real guy. But what if, what if, he rose from the dead. What if God loves you so much that he sent his one and his only son to die for you? And not for you like, like in broad terms, but specifically you. He came and he died for you. We are given, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful pictures of love uh, in the entire Bible, and I would argue in, in human existence in the book of Luke, a book that we find in the New Testament. I don't know if there's a piece of scripture that better encapsulates just how much God loves you. Jesus is starting to sense that, that his time on earth is, is coming to an end, and he's been talking about it and even telling his disciples, like, hey, listen, I'm not going to be around forever. And he knew what was coming. He knew this horrible death what was right on the verge of happening. And, and in that moment, right before he, he's going be, to be killed and crucified for, for our sins, he has this really intimate moment with a couple of his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we find this passage in the book of Luke. It says, Father, 
And imagine this. This is Jesus pouring his heart out to his heavenly father. He says, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. I mean, he's begging, begging, begging God. He's begging his father. I mean, you just have to picture him in this moment. He's going, God, if there is any other way, please, any other way, please let that happen. Because he's starting to realize that he's not just going to be going through, through physical pain, but he is about to experience the wrath of God for our sins. Separation from his heavenly and father. And he's going, God, if there is any other way, please. But then he says, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. I mean, he's in so much agony in this moment. He's under so much stress that literally he is sweating blood. And this is a real thing that can actually physically happen to people. I mean, he's sweating blood in that moment, begging his dad, please, if there's any other way. And I told you that I think this is one of the greatest pictures of love because here's a picture of my daughter right here. And I picture that little girl begging me going, Dad, please, 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 is there any other way? And she's sweating drops of blood and she's looking at me going, Dad, is there anything else that can be done? And I would look at her and say, no. And our Heavenly Father looked down at his son and he said, no. Because he has that much love for you. It is almost impossible to comprehend just how much God loves you, specifically you. Who's Jesus? C.S. Lewis, who is a famous theologian and author, he refers to this as the trilemma. And he says there's basically three options, and I, I couldn't agree more. Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. A lot of people accuse him of being a liar. In fact, that's usually kind of the go-to thing if people are, are against Christianity, that he is a liar, that he made all this stuff up. And that's a possibility. But if he is a liar, he is the greatest liar to have ever walked the earth. His lie continued to deceive not thousands, but millions. It is a lie that has somehow withstood the test of time like no other lie before it. It's possible. Two, he could be a lunatic. And he came and he just decided, I mean, he was nuts that he decided he was just going to try to convince everybody that he was the son of God, but he could have just as easily came down and tried to convince everybody that he was a chicken. I mean, it's possible. Or three, he's Lord. He was telling the truth and he really is God. And if he's God, and if you find yourself drifting in that direction to Lord, and that means that there are some serious implications for our lives. 
And maybe you're here today and you're trying to figure this out and despite everything that we've talked about this morning and despite all of your own experiences and despite everything that's going on right now, this is still a little bit hard to believe and I totally get that. I mean, the very people that spent time with him in the flesh had a hard time believing this. In the book of Luke, Jesus is speaking directly to this. He says, this evil generation keeps asking me to show them a miraculous sign. He's like, people over and over and over again, they keep asking for more signs and, you know, keep, keep showing me more stuff. Okay, Jesus, if you just do one more miracle, then I might finally believe. But Jesus responds, what happens to the Son of Man, which is him referring to himself in the third person, what happens to me, Jesus, will be a sign to these people that he was sent by God. He's irritated that people keep asking for signs over and over and over again. He's going, you you guys just don't seem to be paying attention. Sound a little bit familiar? Thousands of years later, we're still dealing with the exact same issue. He's saying, I already gave it to you. What will soon happen to me, Jesus, will be a sign that I truly was sent by God. See, when I die and I rise from the dead, you're not going to think all of that stuff that I said was so insane. You're not going to think anymore that I'm a lunatic. All that stuff that, that, that I spouted off that you thought were just lies and absolute craziness, it's not going to seem so crazy when I die and I conquer the grave. He's telling them, he's telling us, he's telling everyone, when I rise from the dead, it will change everything. And it sure seems like Jesus rose from the dead. So what if? What if Jesus is the solution? We screwed up our relationship with God the day that we decided to sin. Everything is not fine. We need a solution. And fortunately for us, God did not look down at us and say, you know what, that's on them now. I'll let them figure it out. He didn't hang an out of order sign on the world and he very easily could have done that. But no, instead he sought to find a solution. And it came in the form of his perfect son, Jesus, sacrificed for our sins, paid the penalty for our mistakes. We've heard the message. We've seen the sign. He is the solution. And you you can continue laboring on through life, looking for alternatives, but I promise you, he is it. We have all been fooled in our lives by plenty of stuff, but do not be so quick to dismiss Jesus. I understand that this is hard, that in a lot of ways, it's easier to be skeptical And you can continue looking for those alternatives. But what if? What if this is true? What if Jesus really is our solution? And if you're interested in continuing to explore this, I'm begging you, come back. Keep leaning in. Keep showing up here. Make this like a weekly thing, not like a semi-annual thing and see what God begins to do in your life. That's why this church exists. We wanted to create a place where you can ask those questions and you are totally free to bring those doubts and bring your skepticism, where you can explore what it even means to be a Jesus follower, where you can ultimately move towards God. Because is it possible that something is missing? 
be honest with yourself. Is there something inside of you that just seems to yearn for more? Don't let this Easter pass by like all the other Easter's before. Don't be so quick to dismiss Jesus. It's not an accident that you're here this morning. Jesus is it. Give Jesus a chance. Let me pray for this.